ownership economy. In case you forgot the ownership economy, I'm your host, Jonathan Kogan. We got awesome stuff to talk about today. We got Roe v. Wade, obviously, lockdowns, crypto, digital currencies, how that's not the same, the ownership economy. And then today, Triton, I believe you call it Triton, came out with the most recent podcasting report and we're going to get into some of that data and those statistics which is absolutely fascinating one of them being already in june 2022 25 or a fourth of americans get their news from podcasts that's a massive number and i think this is the very very beginning of podcasting and um we'll get into that data at the at the end at the last segment but Roe v. Wade, I'm not one to get into politics. I'm not a political man. This is an apolitical show. This will always be an apolitical show because we are for the people and we don't like to talk about politicians. We just don't do that. We like technology. We like innovation. We like growth. We like independent individual sovereignty. We like freedom. We like freedom of expression, freedom of speech. We like Everybody in the world, this isn't just America. This is a global world, and we're all interconnected. Where, starting in the 90s, you have MTV streaming to basically every country in the world, and everybody is consuming the same entertainment or culture. And you are more similar than someone who lives in Russia or Ukraine or England or even China. Then you would even believe you'd be shocked we are all very very similar and so it's never been more important to kind of give the whole nation state um, discussion a back seat and start with human and then reverse from there and separate okay those that are good and those that are bad not from okay who's american and then are they good are they bad no 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 if you're american if you're canadian if you're mexican if you're british it doesn't matter we are all intertangled and so similar because of globalization, because of you know streaming similar content across the world for two and a half decades has made us very, very similar. So as I said, this is apolitical, an apolitical show, but sometimes there's massive cultural issues that happen to be intertwined with politics, with controversy. And that one would be Roe v. Wade. So what is Roe versus Wade? First of all, fun fact, Roe is actually not the real name of the woman who was, uh, uh, who's responsible for the victory 50 years ago of Roe v. Wade. So Roe was a, what you call a, uh, pseudonym. I believe that's what, uh, the right word would be. And the pseudonym was from a pregnant Texas woman in a county in Dallas. And she used the name Jane Roe. That's where it comes from. So Roe is not actually the, the woman. The woman's actual name, which I think uh, if I have it up here, is uh, so Jane Roe is the pseudonym in March 1970. She sued a local Texas Texas district attorney over a statute that made abortions illegal except to save the life of the mother. And 
Speaking about that, her real name, by the way, is Norma McCorvey. Norma McCorvey, a.k.a. Jane Rowe. Norma McCorvey, a.k.a. Jane Rowe. I'm looking at a picture here. Walks with her attorney, Gloria Alfred, or Alred, Allred, outside, I think it's Allred, outside the Supreme Court in Washington, D.C. And they're smiling. Well, I guess Gloria, the attorney, is smiling, and Norma looks confused, or she's just looking at a different camera. However, this was a pretty big deal. And apparently, it's been a very, very big deal for like the past five decades. Now, you know, being an apolitical humanitarian, you don't come across a lot of this unless you're in school and you got to memorize facts and regurgitate them just to like get an A or, you know, you got to be able to read so you can cheat off the person on your left and look out the corner of your eye, your peripherals. I had amazing peripheral vision, one of the best of all time in my opinion, but we're not getting into that. We're staying with Roe v. Wade, also known as McCorvey v. Wade. So that's who Jane Roe is. That's Norma McCorvey. But now you ask, who was Wade? And that is a good question. So Wade was a Dallas County district attorney named Henry Wade, who was widely respected. He was a former sailor. He was an FBI agent. He was elected to Dallas County's district attorney in 1950, a job to which he was repeatedly reelected before retiring in 1986, which is interesting. So Roe v. Wade, you know Roe won, and a lot of people didn't like that. There's a lot, I think it's like 37 or 33% of the country is pro-life, and then the other majority is pro-choice. To each their own, we aren't a political show, and we will never be a political show. We're apolitical, first and foremost, and we love you and everybody who listens. Now back to the story. Wade never lost a case he tried personally. So let's say he was good at his job, including the prosecution of Jack Ruby, who famously gunned down Lee Harvey Oswald following his assassination of President John F. Kennedy in 1963. He was known as the chief. Now, if you have to have a nickname, I would say the chief. The Don, the Don Boss. I'm just saying Don Boss because the Don Boss region is very in in style or in row. Not Roe v. Wade. But the Chief is pretty cool. So he was known as the Chief. A cigar-chewing advocate of law and order who told prospective prosecutors that he only hired lawyers who, quote, who could eat raw meat and chomp on nails, close quote. According to an obituary in The Guardian, following his death on March 1st, 2001. So what we can gather from that information is that the man lived for what seems like a very long time. You see, he was elected in 1950, I believe. That was after a career of never losing a case and died in 2001. The man known as Henry Wade had to be old. Now, if we dive into it a little deeper, we can say instead of Henry Wade, we can say the chief, like he's our buddy, the chief, 
was a, let's say, a, um, he uh, discriminated in his hiring strategy. Because, according to his obituary, from when he died on March 1st, not in February, March 1st, 2001, he only hired lawyers, not all lawyers. No, 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 no. He hired lawyers who could eat raw meat and chomp on nails. If I was an attorney, if I was a Juris Doctorate, Henry Wade would not have hired me because I don't chomp on nails. Now, could I chomp on nails? Perhaps. Have I ever tried? No. So if the chief came in, sat down, said, hey, I'm looking for an attorney. I say, yes, I got a Juris Doctorate. Went to Ohio State Law School. I really didn't, but whatever. Can I get the job? And he goes, would you eat raw meat? And I'd say, you know, I'm a meat guy. Don't know if meat's good for you or not. I have a very uh, deep thought of thinking that eating meat is probably bad and being vegan is the optimal diet. But I like meat. And hey, maybe it's not bad. I'll eat raw meat, Mr. Wade, or chief, chief. As he's chewing his cigar. Now you see, in the 1950s, men would sometimes smoke cigars, which is all you do nowadays. But back then, in those times, things were so hard and so rough and tough and so masculine that the man would sometimes chew on the cigar out of anger and frustration with the political system. And that is why we became an apolitical show. So you see that? That's full circle. Let's get back into Roe v. Wade and some more details. So Jane Roe, the pseudonym, okay, defeated Henry Wade. And by the way, I, I must say that Henry Wade, although he was in a Dallas County and a lawyer, he was a Democrat. I don't know really why that matters so much, but it's interesting, right? And it even says he never commented on the Supreme Court's Roe v. Wade ruling and reportedly never took any personal interest in the case that bore his name, even to the point of not reading the high court's decision. Now, those are two conflicts. I think that's a little bit different. So not taking any personal interest and then consciously avoiding reading the decisions, like almost comes out to me like you're fearing the decision or like you have some sort of insecurity that you can't read that information because what if it's something you don't like? I don't know. So the point is, is that this was a monumental case in the political sphere, or so we're told by politicians, by political advocators or activists, whatever, because once again, as a political show, we can only take you know opinions from our political uh, friends. I guess they're friends. You know, we're friends with people who are political. We're friends with people who are not political. We're friends with you. We're friends with your friends. We're probably friends with your family and everybody else in between. So let's get to the actual case rather than who Roe is and who Wade is, now that you know that. So before Roe v. Wade, abortions were generally illegal in the U.S., generally illegal in the U.S., although most states allowed them if a woman's life would be endangered by carrying the pregnancy to term. In 1962, the American Law Institute issued a more model penal code on abortion that recommended further exceptions involving the health of the mother, as well in cases of rape, incest, and fetuses diagnosed with severe structural 
defects. Okay. Colorado in 1967 became the first state to adopt the recommendations and 13 others did so by 1972. So in a five year span, four states, New York, Washington, Alaska, and Hawaii completely repealed their anti-abortion laws in 1970. However, only New York didn't impose a residency requirement to get abortions and an estimated 100,000 plus women traveled from other states to New York City for procedures in 1972, according to an analysis by the nonprofit Guttmacher Institute, which advocates for abortion rights. And I hope I got that name right, Guttmacher. So the biggest thing I hear through the political outlets, which seems to be everything you consume nowadays, like everyone's getting all up into politics. It's like, you know, as an apolitical uh, activist, you know, it's sad because apolitical people have rights too. And we should be able to consume information that is of our interest and apolitical. And we feel very discriminated against as an apolitical activist. And that's why I am sharing for you and for myself and for my family, for all the apolitical people out there, we have a voice too. And shit, I shouldn't have sweared. Now I think I have to choose explicit for uh, on the um, podcast, but maybe I can let that let that go. However, if you are a political, like everyone on this who's a part of this podcast, who I know, I know you have a voice, and if I have to lead the way and put myself out there for all the apolitical innocent people out there, I'm doing it for you. I am doing it for myself, and I'm doing it for everyone out there who is apolitical because we have a voice. Okay. So, again, Roe v. Wade, before Roe v. Wade was um, put into law, uh, before the Supreme Court even ruled on it, abortions were generally legal in the U.S. Illegal, sorry, illegal. I apologize. Illegal. But most states allowed them, if a woman's life would be endangered by carrying the pregnancy to term. And then 962 expanded even further. So, the number one thing I hear from these political uh, outlets is, you know, you can't be, and I'm not saying if I'm pro-life, pro-choice, I'm going to keep my opinion out of this. I'm just going to make some remarks and I, some things that I think are hypocritical and funny and whatever. You, t- you know, you make your own uh, determinations. Um, the biggest thing I hear is someone saying, well, I'm pro-choice for the sole reason that if someone's woman, if a woman's life is, if the mother's health is in danger or if it's incest or rape, like they shouldn't be forced to have that baby. Now, I think that is a fair and legitimate thing to say. I, uh, if someone, you know, I, I, I guess I'll give my opinion here. My opinions will be involved now. Okay. I can't help it. I'm a political activist, please. So I'm all about to each their own. As long as you don't cause harm onto like me personally, like I'm very selfish. Like, okay, God bless, go do your thing, or whoever bless, whatever, do your thing. So if it's incest, if it's rape, and they don't want to have the baby, which is understandably so, and probably the majority of times, maybe not all. Well, wow, in 1962, they ruled that if there was something involving the health of the mother, 
rape, incest, and even fetuses diagnosed with severe structural defects can be aborted in 1962. This is before Roe v. Wade. Well, it seems like we were kind of ahead of the game there. So if you're pro-choice for that reason, and we said, okay, fine, every state, if, if, if it's those circumstances, the health of the mother, in cases of rape, of incest, even structured defects, even perhaps even mental defects, who knows? If it's something's just wrong, yes, we will allow you to get an abortion. Now, under those parameters, meaning that if you accept those and deny all other options, then that would make you pro-life. Would you be pro-life or pro-choice? So let me say that again. If you believe that only in circumstances of the health of the mother, the rape, the incest, the fetus diagnosed structural defects, we go, okay, those are all covered. But other than that, you're pro-life. So that makes you, so we accept those terms. Okay, that's the law. Are you now pro-life or are you still pro-choice? Because now pro-choice has nothing to do with the health of the mother, with rape, with incest, with structural defects, because that's covered under pro-life, per se. And pro-choice would be only things beyond that. So like an abortion for no reason or for, you know, personal reason of that's not under one of those. Does that shift any of you to pro-life if that, if those things are covered under pro-life, you know? So it, even if you add up the percentages of all births and how many are to rape, how many are to incest, how many are to feces diagnosed with structural defects, it's less than... 1%. And I'm not advocating for pro-life here. I'm just giving the facts. It's So 99% are due to a decision, a personal reason, you know, economic, something like that. Under 1%, we'll just say 1% is due to rape, incest, feces. So if we say that 1% become abortion, so then that 90, 90% becomes 100%, right? That means of all those 99% are now the 100%. We have nothing in there that has to do with rape, nothing has to do with incest, nothing to do with the health of the mother, nothing with fetuses diagnosed with severe structural defects. It's out. And then I reevaluate and say, hey, political people, are you pro-life or pro-choice? I think that that would sway probably a material, a decent amount of people from pro-choice to pro-life. I think. And that isn't the goal here. It's just interesting. Isn't it? It's interesting. It's an interesting discussion to have. And I'm fascinated by interesting discussions. And most interesting discussions are ones that people go all up in arms about. So would you be pro-life or pro-choice? I, because I think it probably should be, you know, like that at least, right? So what did the Supreme Court even decide? So what, so Roe v. Wade is really not about who can get, you know, getting abortions or not getting abortions. That's really not what it's about. I know we're, you know, made it out. It's made out to, we're believe, or they make us believe that that's what it's about. So we get all up in arms and, you know, mad at each other. The truth is it's who should be making that decisions. Should it be one high court, the Supreme Court in this case, that then makes that decision for every state? Or should the decisions be made closer to the actual voters, meaning like to the state level, right? And then they make their own choices because the people are closer to them. Maybe not, maybe people in California feel differently than people in Texas. I mean, they usually vote differently, right? 
So may, maybe. Um, in my opinion, you want to get votes as close to the people making the votes as possible. So in this case, you want the least amount of things to be decided by the Supreme Court, which is a national blanket decision. States, you want the second least, right? It's closer, but it's still not good enough. Then you have like, you know, county, then you have cities. You want the real decisions to be made closest to you, who you have the largest impact on. Most likely you are very similar to people who live in your city or your town because you choose to live. Now I get some people can't move in financial situations and you hate everyone in your town. However, most people enjoy where they live or are very, or may not enjoy it, but are very similar to the people that they live with. Cause they say like you're the, you are the, the sum or you are the combination of the five closest people to you. Well, that's true. I think that's very true. You take the five people that you interact with the most, well, you're a mix of all that. And that usually is in a town, maybe not so much anymore with the internet and stuff, but you are most similar to people that are in your neighborhood that are closest to you. That's why you guys live there. That's why you're next to each other. You guys just happen to be similar because of the way you interact with stores on a daily basis. When you see each other with you know, how you talk, how you communicate, you're similar. Okay, <laughs> so would you rather have someone who knows you personally making, you know, legislative decisions, meaning like the mayor, as opposed to the president who doesn't even know you and frankly probably doesn't care about you? I would think so. You want to get as closest to the individual if it can't be the individual, like aka yourself, that makes the best decision for you and your family, then you want to be just one step above, not 50 steps above to the Supreme Court or the the you know, the United States, like forget Roe v. Wade for a second. Decisions made at the highest level where they're saying, okay, 350 million or whatever it is, people all have to do this. Well, you could see as a country, and this is only the country level, this is really global, but the country level, we're divided like 50-50 on everything when you talk about red, blue, Republican, Democrats, it's wild. I mean, we're really all on the same team. I mean, you take Republicans and Democrats, it's just a different management team for the same corporate system. That's the only difference. They're the same thing. It's just a different management team. But we all have different views. Just That's just 50-50. So if you make one decision for everyone, half people won't like it. And that's sort of what happened with Roe v. Wade. I understand the majority was pro-choice or pro-Jane Roe. But a lot of people are pro-life. I mean, it's, a, it's absolutely over 30%. I know that. It's 33 to 36. And that's a lot. So why not? Maybe your... T I bet you pounds are more consensus than other places i bet you more neighborhoods or developments or you know five mile races are similar to than five thousand mile radiuses so we should rule as closest to the people and so what roe v wade is ultimately doing is saying hey we're not making a decision for everybody in the country we're going to give it to your state and then you vote at that state level and that's what it is so it's closer to the people now it's still not close enough but that's what it is. It's who should be making the rule. And so do you want it to be made at the federal level or do you want it to be made at your neighborhood level? Because you think about now, this isn't just what you got to think about this in context of every decision. So if you don't like the outcome of Roe v. Wade, well, then let me ask, well, what if it was something else? I mean, I'm sure there's another decision that you disagree with. Well, 
maybe you can have both go your way if it's voted at your city level. Maybe you would vote for pro-choice and then, uh, I don't know, something with the education system. Whereas in another place, it would be pro-life and they would vote. You can get both. But if it's a blanket choice for everybody in the country, if that makes sense, if you know what I'm saying, then you're going to have a lot of friction on many decisions because there's always going to be a split. But if you allow it to be at a lower, lower, closer level, you're going to have more agreement because it's going to be more personalized. That's what I mean. It's going to be more closer to what the people really want because they're voting at you in order to win, to be mayor, you have to have the city. Like if you want to be president, you need the whole, the majority of the country only by 51%, like, you know, or the electoral college, like you don't need the, you don't need the majority. In fact, I believe Hillary got more close, uh, more uh, like popular votes than, than Trump. You know, partially because California is massively popular and stuff. But think about that. So there's a lot of people that don't agree. But I bet you for each individual mayor, if they ruled, okay, this this town, are we pro-life? Are we pro-choice? I think you'll have way happier people across pretty much every demographic, every age group, every location, everything. Because it's closer to the people. And so what Roe v. Wade is doing again is just making the decision not at the federal level, but the state level. So forget what the decision is ignore if you like don't like the decision just say okay this is um uh this is the case of uh, uh red versus blue okay just forget roe v wade forget what the 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 conclusion is just say okay the it's red for everybody in the country it's blue for everybody in the country if it's at the federal level or okay we'll take it to the states ohio you voted red pennsylvania you're blue you know whatever or like think about it in case of roe v wade where it's like Okay, Florida, you're with Roe. Texas, you're with Wade. Uh, California, you're with Roe. Ohio, you're with Wade. And you're going to get more people that are in agreement. And if you don't agree, uh, at least it's closer to the people. There's always going to be people that don't agree, but it's closer to the people. So it's it's who should be making the decision. And you don't want, because there's decision, even if you like Roe, and it was Roe, you know, if you're pro-choice, you were really happy the past 50 years. Well, look now. Now you're not so happy when the decision doesn't go your way, right? But think about so many other decisions. You want it to be not – you don't want it to be the federal level because think about the ones that are at the federal level that you don't agree with, which now would be Roe v. Wade, right? When you did agree with it, you loved it at the federal level. But when you don't, you think it shouldn't – you know, it should be – it shouldn't <laughs> be at the federal level, Right? So just think about this in context of decisions right now that you don't like. And if you had it at the state level, would it change things where more people would be happy because these nuances between states actually make a difference with the voters, which makes a difference with the legislation for that particular area? It's very interesting. So the Supreme Court voted 7-2 to in favor of Roe with Justice Harry Blackmun, who became the course court's most liberal member after his nomination by President Richard Nixon, writing the majority opinion handed down on January 22, 1973. In it, Blackman said the Texas, the Texas statutes violated a woman's right to privacy as guaranteed by the Due Process Clause of the 14th Amendment. But the majority disagreed with Roe's contention that women had absolute right to terminate their pregnancies at any time, saying there was a compelling state interest in balancing the competing interest between a mother's health and the potential life of her fetus. The ruling laid out a framework in which a woman could decide to have an abortion for any reason during the first trimester of pregnancy, 
states could regulate the procedure for preservation and protection of maternal health during the second during the second and could outlaw abortions during the third except in cases involving the health or life of the mother okay and let's continue here with it on the screen if you are watching it so have there been subsequent decisions around abortion in the US good question since Roe v Wade the Supreme Court has handed down more than 20 decisions involving abortion, all of which upheld a woman's constitutional right to an abortion during the first trimester. They include the 1992 ruling in Planned Parenthood, and Planned Parenthood we're going to get into in a little bit, which is the founder, um, uh, Margaret, uh, what's her name? Uh, Margaret, uh, sorry, I got a little, Margaret Sanger. Very, very interesting, by the way. Super controversial. Uh, so since we're there's been 20 decisions involving abortion, they include the 1992 ruling in Planned Parenthood of Southeastern Pennsylvania versus Casey, which involved amendments to the Keystone State's abortion law requiring women to provide informed consent and wait 24 hours before undergoing procedures as well as notify their husbands if married or obtain parental consent if they're minors. In a bitter, in a bitter, what, what a word, in a bitter, it seems a little biased, no? 5-4 decision, the court reaffirmed Roe v. Wade, but imposed a new standard for abortion restrictions that bans the imposition of, a, of an undue burden defining, defined as putting a substantial obstacle in the path of a woman seeking an abortion before the fetus attains viability. Using that guideline, the majority opinion upheld three of the Pennsylvania amendments, but tossed the one that required women to notify their husbands before getting abortions. In an unusual move, the decision was written by three justices, Sandra Day O'Connor, Anthony Kennedy, and David Souter, all of whom have since retired. So very, very interesting. So when voted in favor of Roe, it was seven to two, and it was basically as it was written, okay, by uh, Justice Blackmun, said that women had this right to privacy that allowed them to get an abortion whenever they want or whenever for whatever reason, okay? And again, when the majority disagreed, whoever this majority is, I don't know if that's true or not, actually, but people disagree with Rose's contention that women had the absolute right to terminate apprentices at any time, saying there was, quote, compelling state interest, close quote, in balancing the competing interest between a mother's health and the potential life of her fetus. Compelling state interest. So this is what we're going to get into with Margaret, the founder of Planned Parenthood, and the whole how much of a role should the, quote, state play in abortions or really anything. And you'll see with a lot of legislation in the 1900s, this whole compelling state interest or the interest of the state. You know, when I say state, I'm meaning nation state, like the United States, right? Like Canada, right? The interest of this nation state, like we owe this nation state everything. Which I personally do not agree with. I think you have a right to yourself and you make your own decisions that are best for you and probably best for your family. As I imagine that would be your incentive to make a decision that's best not only for you, but also the people that you love and are around you all the time. Otherwise they'll hate your guts um, and it wouldn't work too well, but you can make whatever decision you want and that nothing should be 
made or stopped in the name of the state, of the nation's state. So the closer a decision gets to the people. So Roe v. Wade, whether I'm pro-life or pro-choice, is irrelevant. I want the decision to be made closer to the individual because to each their own, make what's best for you. I'm not telling you what to do, nor should I tell you what to do. And the state shouldn't tell you what to do either. So it should just, and when I say state, I mean any like government body. I just don't think that the government has your best interest at heart. Now, what's so interesting about the pro-choice, and I I was going to say, I think I could say this, but this is just so fascinating. Again, I'm not talking about if I'm, I'm not talking about my opinions being pro-life, pro-choice. Irrelevant, irrelevant. This is just so interesting. The signs that people have that are protesting for pro-choice. So pro-choice is saying you have the right to your own privacy, your own decisions, that it's your body, your choice, right? My body, my choice. Those are what the signs say, like my body, my choice. Okay? God bless you if you feel that way. It's fine. Those same, that is the same group. So my body, my choice people, which are pro-choice people, are the same people that actually would be more on the, pro-life side with the vaccine, meaning with abortion, it's my body, my, isn't this interesting? With my body, my choice, but with the vaccine, nope, it's not your body, your choice. Women should not have the right to put whatever they want in their body. It is the state's decision and what's in the best case scenario of health for the state because the state, so the pro-choice people are saying you have to get a vaccine in your body, but with an abortion, it's your body, your choice. Like, that's fascinating. It should be opposite, right? Should it be opposite? Shouldn't the pro-life people be the ones that are more aligned with forcing you to do something with your body that you may not want to do? So pro-choice saying, I can do whatever I want with my body at any time. It's my life. That's it. Okay, well, what about the vaccine? No, 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 no. You don't get your own choice with that. Uh-uh. No, 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 no. You put that in you no matter what your religious beliefs are. No matter what you want to do, you must get it in your system. I don't care what you think. Don't talk about it. It's fascinating. And it's also, what's also so interesting about this, this is just interesting, is it not? It seems counterintuitive to me. And another interesting thing is, is that when you talk about pro-choice, you automatically get into Planned Parenthood because that's where a lot of people get abortions, okay? And that was started by a woman named Margaret Sanger, okay, who became Margaret – well, not she didn't become Margaret Louise, but Margaret Higgins, okay? She's the founder of Planned Parenthood Federation of America, okay? She was very anti-censorship because at the time, you couldn't talk about contraception and – quote, birth control, something she popularized at the time, that that was something that was illegal and that was censored, okay? The person who created Planned Parenthood was very anti-censorship because everything that Planned Parenthood stand for was censored at the time. But in today's world, in 2022, the people that are pro-censorship are the people that tend to be the ones that are on the pro-choice Planned Parenthood side of things, which is so ironic because Planned Parenthood wouldn't have came about with censorship, but now that it did come about, it seems like the censorship tables have switched to like, okay, 
It's almost like who's ever at the top, whoever way it is, is the person who wants censorship, right? Before there was Planned Parenthood, the people who want censorship were the pro-life. Like, you don't talk about this. Women don't have rights. So then pro-choice gets into power and Roe v. Wade happens and everyone is pro-choice or, you know, that's the status quo of the Supreme Court. And then since you're at the top, you want to censor people who are not pro-choice. It just switched. It inverted. It's amazing. So what that means is it's not about your view on the situation. It's not about the pro-life, pro-choice conundrum, okay? It's about whether power is in your favor or not. If power is in your favor, then you want to put more power in place to keep that decision at the forefront or decidedly in your favor. You want to keep it that way through power. And censorship is a form of power at work, right? Most famously, most famously with Joseph Stalin. And by the way, this is all covered in great detail at a super, in a super, super interesting Netflix series. It's a short series called How to Be a Tyrant, I believe. And uh, no one was better or more influential with, with uh, censorship well, Hitler was, but uh, Joseph Stalin was very, very effective to the point where he's praised a lot today by a lot of people. So, and listen, I'm not, I'm not saying one way or the other, just censorship is an interesting thing. And it seems to be the people who want censorship are those that have the legislation, the laws, the views in action or um, that are the rule of law in today's world those are the people that don't want to use power to keep them in place. It's the ones whose voices are not in favor. The ones, so in the, when Roe v. Wade was, wrote, was, was voted in favor of Roe, it, well, before that, it was the pro-life people wanting to censor the pro-choice people. That's what happened with Margaret. That's why she was so anti-censorship, because she was censored. It was illegal to talk about contraception in 1914. She even had to flee because of her writing. She had went to Britain and came back because you couldn't talk about abortion. Then the Supreme Court ruled in favor of, quote, Jane Roe, right? And then, because that was the rule of law, people who were pro-choice wanted to silence the pro-life activists, okay? Like, that's what's happening now. Now it's back to the pro-life director. At the federal level, it's really not in the pro-life. It's just saying, okay, instead of the federal level ruling on it, and the founding fathers did talk about the federalist, federal level with a lowercase f. You want the power to be closest to the people. Not only like state is closer, but then like counties even closer. I think cities even closer than that, right? You want more power the closer to the people. The further away you are, the less you know someone, you should have less power. It makes a lot of sense to me, at least as I'm learning about this. But the censorship happens at the level in which the rule of law, usually the rule of law, stands in the moment. So if pro-choice is in, in power or, you know, in favor, if it's favorable to pro-choice, pro-choice wants to censor. If it's favorable to pro-life, pro-life wants to censor. That's why censorship is so dangerous because there are so many people that do believe in a certain way that may be different than the status quo today. And we should hear them out and debate and talk when you don't have debates and discussions. 
you're teetering in dangerous territory because we don't know how many people feel that way. And what if it's the quiet, the, the quote, quiet majority? I believe that was referred to in Nixon's time where like, you know, it's the quiet majority and then they voted and it was like a landslide for Nixon and no one thought he would win. Sort of like Trump versus Hillary. This is That was before I knew anything of politics because I'm an apolitical figure. That was when all I saw, because you can't avoid the news completely, you still come across it. You know, Hillary's going to win by landslide, and I figured that'd be true. And then all of a sudden on that election night, I did watch, it was like, red state, red state, red state, okay. Hillary lost. Like, I'm like, what? We were lied to? Like, damn. What a statement. But censorship is ultimately goes in favor of those in power, not the best decision. So forget if you're pro-life, forget if you're pro-choice. Censorship shouldn't want to be used on either side because both sides know what it does. And both sides have had a negative consequence from censorship. Both sides, you should know that. And so if that's, if what I'm saying is true, then you shouldn't want to be for censorship because you never know when you're on the bottom. It's gone in multiple directions now. And when you're on the bottom, you don't want censorship. When you're on top, you do. But you might as well think that, hey, one day you might be in the minority or you might be against the rule of law. And if that's the case, then you won't want censorship against you. So when you're in power or when things are favorable to you, don't put censorship in power or don't use censorship for, uh, don't use your power for censorship. Because you might val- might be on the other side of that sooner than you would imagine. It's not good for anyone. We want to have everybody speak and, and debate and learn more. And maybe we have the wrong decision in place. Maybe there's valid reasons of why it should be changed. And, you know, then we switch it. And I'm not just talking about pro-life, pro-choice with anything. You want to hear the people. And so, so ultimately Roe v. Wade... Um, as people know, or you're, you're apolitical, so you may not know, but the, the Supreme Court has become more conservative. Donald Trump has elected three judges, which is a lot of judges. Do you think about like a lifetime duty and you have one president voting three people? That's wild. Whatever you think of anybody, that's just wild. And so this court became, I think, a majority conservative for the first time in a while. And then you have Roe v. Wade be overturned. But I, I just want to touch on this point one last time is that Roe v. Wade is not about the decision of Roe v. Wade. It's about who should make the decision. Should it be the federal government? So it's one decision for every person in this country or should decisions be made at the state level where it only applies to people in those states? So the voters, you know, voters are closer to voting for their governor because if I live in Ohio, I don't have people in California swaying it one way or another or people in Texas swaying it one way or another. It's just your people. You're closer to your people. Like I said, the people in your neighborhood are very similar to you, most likely, if you've been there for a while. It's generally either why you live in the same area, these people, or the outcome of living in that in the area with those people. You share similar values. You believe similar things. Uh, you're just close geographically. You know, demographically, it's probably similar. Like this, is, you know, p- perhaps even age. Um, that's just how it is. So the takeaway here is, yes, Roe v. Wade was overturned. And now all it means is the decision is at the state level. So the federal, nothing has changed except the decisions at the state level. Now, yes, there are states, and I believe it's 22 states have had trigger laws that change whether it's the rule of law that it was when Roe v. Wade was active or now that it's overturned, it becomes more uh, strict against abortion, perhaps, maybe you can't get it unless, uh, you know, at a certain week 
or you you know you can get it but only an instance of like 1962 if the mother has a health issue or if there's a deformity of some sort physical um you know whatever it might or if it's incest or if it's rape um i i do think a lot of people would probably agree that if it's one if it's a result of one of those cruel acts that um that the woman you know should always have a choice um uh, a lot of people say the woman should always have a choice some people are really into the sanctity saint is it sanctity of life something like that but Roe v. Wade is not about pro-life and pro-choice. Sure, that's what that's what it is about in terms of what the case is and how Jane Roe came to be. However, I implore you to look at it from who can make the decision. Okay, the federal making it at the federal level, making it for everybody in the country, or taking it to the state level so that the states can rule for themselves and the voters can vote for governors, just like you can vote for presidents, and it happens at that level. Are you going to get more likely a result that you want if it's in your state than as a whole for a country because people are very different in Texas than Utah and Utah and New York City or New York um, and Florida and California? Probably. I don't know if that's true or not. It seems like it would give you a higher probability of getting your way. And so it's who should be making the decision. Should it go even further and become your community? Your city, your county, your district, right? Probably should. I don't know how that works and if it, if it will ever get there. But the point is, it's not what the decision is. It's who should be making the decision. And then, sure, let's debate it, but don't censor it. Because as if you are, if you are pro-choice or pro-life, which seems to be the only two outcomes, then you've been on the raw side of the deal. When I say raw side, I mean when you're particular view was not the status quo or the rule of law. And so you were censored against. We, you know that that sucks and it gives you a really, really rough and really tough opportunity to break out of that. But as we'll get into later in another segment, which is the censorship actually generate more fuel and power and oddly enough or counterintuitively enough louder voices by the result of being censored like Trump on True Social and whatnot. We'll get into that later. But the point is, who should be making the decision? And I'm all about the individual personally, to each their own, as long as you don't step on my feet. Don't you dare step on my feet. But if you're apolitical or you're political, we're here to talk about it. And the Roe v. Wade thing is a big deal. You're going to see it all over the place. I hope this sheds some light on what's really happening here and to take it take it more actually into context and show that it's more about who has the power, the result of that power, and then what power tactics, aka censorship, should not be used in any circumstances. And I think we can all agree we've all been on the raw side of the deal. And if you're apolitical like myself, you're pro-life, pro-choice, you're not either. You're pro-apolitical lifestyles. And we're still fighting that good fight. And hopefully Roe v. Wade brings us back to the people, closer to the people, so that we can make decisions on apolitical lifestyles and get politics out of our business. And don't you dare censor us, even though currently we're censored on YouTube. But we'll be back. We'll be back real soon. I hope that helps. And um, 
And yeah, we'll get down to lockdowns, crypto, digital currencies, the ownership economy, and then new podcast report from I think Triton it's called is uh, later uh, later today. So hope that helps.